Luke chapter 3, um, we're going to begin in verse 21. We're going to begin in verse 21 of Luke chapter 3 as we kind of walk through uh, the text together this morning. And uh, I'm just going to begin reading here, Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 21. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven, a voice came from heaven, said, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son, and it's going to go on and on and on, and I'm not going to read you the whole genealogy. Now, a few reasons I'm not going to read the whole genealogy, the primary being that I don't want to butcher every name in the Bible and look like an idiot, uh, which I am. Uh, but uh, second, I want to save on time a little bit because we've got a lot of ground to cover. But four things I want to share with you this morning. And here's the first. The first thing I want you to see is that, uh, and and this is really the the heart of of this huge section of genealogy. I want you to see that Jesus is man, Messiah, maker, and master of all. Jesus is man, Messiah, maker, and master of all. Now, we didn't read the entire genealogy, uh, and, and there, I'll be honest, there's a little controversy in the genealogies because this genealogy doesn't match Matthew's. They have different names in them. And so people are like, well, what's going on? Is Luke wrong? Well, no, Luke's not wrong. Uh, but uh, rather, you know, and let's face it, they're all going back to, to, to Adam, right? So, I mean, if, if we trace back that far, uh, we've all got commonalities. There's a lot of ways that you can get to the same source. Uh, but I want to tell you what some scholars believe. So some people think that Matthew is actually going through the family line of Joseph, but they think here that Luke is actually going through the family line of Mary. So here when it says Joseph, uh, son of Heli, it actually would mean son-in-law. Now, listen, again, I'll be honest with you, we don't know, and it doesn't matter. Because here's the reason Luke puts the genealogy here. That's what I want to share. Like, you should always look for the reason. Like, let's not get caught up in all the little outside stuff, but what's the heart of it? Why, why is it here? Here's why this genealogy exists. Ready? Luke wants to prove a point to you. Here's the point. First, he wants you to know Jesus is really man. Right? Jesus is man. Jesus is really a man. In fact, it's so important, guys. If Jesus isn't man, the cross doesn't count. Right? You need to understand that. If Jesus isn't, isn't fully God and fully man, the cross doesn't count because that means that Jesus didn't really suffer in our place. It means that he didn't really live a perfect life that we couldn't. Right? It, it doesn't count as him paying for our sins if he wasn't really man. If he didn't on the cross really cry out, not my father, the, the term that he constantly, continually, always used for God, if he didn't cry out for the first time from the cross, my God, instead of my father, my God, why have you forsaken me? If he didn't feel the separation that sin causes, then the cross doesn't count. So Luke wants to start here, like, listen, it's a genealogy. I want you to see Jesus as a man. He's really a man. The cross counts for something. It's not just the fact that he's a man. Look at verse 31. Verse 31 there, it lists the name David. David, which is significant, right? Jesse's his father. 
to, to list David. Why, why is that important? Because, because that, it's proof that he's the Messiah, right? And the whole gospel is, is, is this, this thing. Is like Luke, remember, he starts with the story of Zechariah, right? Well, Zechariah, the, the story of the angel of the Lord appearing to Zechariah, the angel says the same sentence that God was speaking 400 years prior when he stopped talking about the rescue mission in Malachi, Right? So, so God, from Genesis all the way through Malachi, is telling this great story of redemption. A Savior is coming. A Redeemer is coming. Rescue is coming. And then in Malachi, God stops talking about his rescue mission. And he's silent about his rescue mission for 400 years until the angel of the Lord shows up, speaks to Zechariah, and says the same thing that God said in Malachi, which is that he will turn the hearts of Children to their fathers and fathers to their children. So he speaks about John the Baptist. And now God is talking about rescue again. But this time he's not just talking. He's doing something about rescue. The Savior is not just coming. The Savior is going to arrive and does arrive in Jesus. So here's the point. This is really important. When he says that he is the son of David... Luke is stating a case. And that case is the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, what did Jews think about Jesus? A really good place to turn is is the book of John. John chapter 7 kind of lets us in on what Jews thought about Jesus at the time. And specifically what they thought about who the Messiah was going to be. So John chapter 7, starting in verse uh, 37. In verse 37. It says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. And others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, now now pay attention, Still others ask, how can the Christ, that's the Messiah, come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided. Luke chapter 3, what is Luke doing? What's what's the point of the genealogy? He said, this is the case. Now remember Luke chapter 2, like literally Mary and Joseph, they go to the town of Bethlehem. Right? The, the city of David, and that's where Jesus is born. And now he's, he's, he's restating his case, and he comes from the line of David. Luke's saying he's not just man, he's also Messiah. Okay? But, but he goes in more detail than that. Look how far back his genealogy goes. This is the son of Adam, the son of God. That's where it ends, son of God. So he's not just man, he's not just Messiah. He's also saying he's, he's maker, Right? That he's maker, the son of God, uh, which makes him the one through whom all things were made. Listen to what Colossians said. Colossians chapter 1 says, The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He's maker. I love how um, verse 17 ends. It says, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. Luke's making a case. Jesus is man. He is Messiah. He is maker. And all of those things 
mean that he's master. That he's master. There's a teacher or a phrase that Luke uses over and over and over again throughout his gospel. And, and, and that, that, that phrase is master. Some, some interpreters call it teacher. But it is a Greek word which means Lord. It means master. Right? It means master. Luke uses the term master or Lord 96 times in his gospel. He's making a point. That's why the genealogy is here. Okay? So we've got to cover it. Like, it may be boring to read, but there's a reason behind it. And the reason is Luke is saying, listen, this is who Jesus is. He's not just a man. Right? He's not. He's the Messiah. He's not just the Messiah. He's actually the maker of everything that we see and everything that we don't see. And all of those things mean that he is our master. He's our Lord. Okay? That's his case throughout the book of Luke, throughout the gospel. Okay. Three more things I want to share with you out of the verses that we did read. Okay? So here's point number two this morning. I want you to see this. Jesus was pleased to take his place with the sinners that he came to save. Jesus was pleased to take his place with the sinners that he came to save. Look at verse 21. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. That's it. I mean, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. So here's the questions that we should ask, right? Who are the people that are being baptized? Well, we studied those people last week, right? The people being baptized, this is a baptism of faith and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The people being baptized are sinners, right? I mean, and some of the worst, the people that may have made their, their, their way down to the water are some of the worst sinners according to, to Jewish custom that there are. They're tax collectors. They're thieves. They're, scout, they're stealing money from their fellow man to, to have a bigger house or a bigger home for themselves. They're, they're the, the, remember the, the original mafia. They're the original Jewish gangsters, right? The, uh, the, 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 the soldiers of the Jewish temple. And they would use their brute force and their muscle to extort money from people, to extort money from people. Like it, it, it was mafia. These are the people at the water. Like John greets them. He's like, you brood of vipers, you know? I mean, so he, he's down here and he's taking these sinners and, and they're, they're literally coming to say, I'm turning from my sin, I'm turning from myself and I'm, I'm gonna turn to this expected savior that's coming. They're, they're giving themselves up completely, Right? And it's here that we're introduced to Jesus. It's here that we we find Christ publicly identifying himself with the sinners that he came to save. This is huge. This is huge. All the people being baptized, all the people making public professions of faith, of repentance, turning from their sin, turning to their state, it's here that we find Jesus amongst all the sinners in the waters of baptism. And here's why it's significant. Remember this. Because Jesus was without sin. Right? Listen to what John writes in 1 John. He says, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. So Jesus is here. Like, this, this is a crowd full of sinners, people that are, that, that are just wrapped up in sin, and here we find Jesus, and he's completely without. So why is he being baptized? It's a baptism of repentance. Jesus doesn't have anything to repent from. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says this way. He says he committed no sin. No, no deceit was even found in his mouth. And so, so the question we have to ask, then why would he be here? Why would Jesus be here at the waters with, with, with all of the sinners? Why would it be here? And I, I'll be honest, here's the answer, ready? Because these are the people he came to save. 
Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save those that are lost. Jesus said it's, it's not the, the, the healthy that need a doctor, but it's, it's the sick. And so, so Jesus is pleased to take his place here with those that need him. Can I ask a question this morning? What about you? Are you pleased to take your place among sinners? Are you pleased to share your table? Because I want to let you in on, on a little secret. And it's kind of a big deal. Like, like somehow churches have almost become like little Christian country clubs. Right? I mean, we, like, we come to gather for work. And hear me. This is important. What we're doing now, like worship and instruction is huge. Like, I mean, the Bible says don't forsake the assembly. Like we need this. Iron sharpens iron. We need to be in church. Right? But, but somehow we've taken that, and then so, so when we leave church, we just hang out with church friends and church people and like-minded people that agree with us on everything, and those are the only people that we insulate ourselves with. So it's, it's like this little Christian community, we're on our own little sect, and here's the problem with that, okay? This secret, like, you probably never hear this anywhere else, ready? You may want to write it down. You can't bring anyone to Christ if you don't know anyone without Christ. (laughs) Hear me? You can't bring anyone to Christ if you don't know anyone without Christ. Jesus hung out with the people that didn't know him. He hung out with the people whose hearts would have been far away from him. The people that thought that they knew him, not so much. He was pleased to identify himself with the sinners that he came to save. What about us? What about us, okay? Number three. Love this. Again, we're just teaching the text. I'm not here to offend you. It's just a natural byproduct. Number three. It may be time for you to begin your ministry. Straight from the text, right? I love verse 23. It says, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Have you ever been, have you ever just like read through a portion of the Bible and it, it's, maybe it's a text you're very familiar with and you read it and for some reason the words just jump off a page to you and you think for a second, wait a second, why is that there? Like, have you ever stopped to think about those words? And Jesus was 30, he's 30 years old when he began his ministry. Wait, Jesus, the Son of God, eternal God, who stepped out of heaven, Philippians 2, and, and, and humbled himself to become obedient, to become man, to obedient, even to death on a cross, Philippians 2 says, right? So, so this Jesus... Who, who, who literally, we just read, who made everything and holds all things together, this Jesus spent 30 years being prepared for ministry. 30 years! Is it is crazy? For, I mean, we, we've already read Luke shows us his childhood. Nobody else does. He's in the temple. He's asking questions. So he's growing in wisdom and stature. Jesus is, is prepared. God's preparing him for ministry. And here's the deal. So I, I get to talk with a, a ton of people. I get to talk with our church folks. I get to talk with a lot of people outside of church because like everywhere I go, are you the Baptist pastor? Yeah, that's me. Like you can't, you can't get away with anything in Elgin um, if you're the pastor of the Baptist church. Like it just it can't happen because everybody, yeah, I saw your face somewhere. Yeah, that's me. Um, wear a ball cap, you know, try to look like the guy on the wall at the post office. Um, so so here, we, here we are. And uh, when I, when I talk with these people, um, I, 
try to, but you start to pick up on commonalities. There are themes in our lives that intersect. If we would ever just sit down with people different from us, you would hear the same story over and over and over. We all have something in common, right? And so, so some of those commonalities, one of those things I'd share with you this morning that so many people I know struggle with is they, they all struggle with trying to figure out uh, certain stages of their life, right? Like, like, like why? Why, why, why? Why did God move us away for, like, for those five years? What was that about? Who was that period of time there? Or, or, or I wonder, why did I, I have to work in that one job for 20 years? Like, what was that time? I, I hated that job, man. Why, why would I do that for 20 years? Or, or, or why is it that um, I went and I studied and I learned all this stuff in college that I've never used? Like, what was the purpose of that? Why, why was I there when I'm not using any of it here? And I hear this over and over, just in different forms, uh, over and over and over and over. And here's the answer that I give to those questions. I think it's often the principle we find here in our text. Ready? It's that God may have had you in those places for those periods on purpose so that he might prepare you for your ministry. God might have had you in those places for those periods on purpose in order to prepare you for your ministry. I think some of you, um, I just believe with all my heart, that's a message some of you need to hear. And here's why you need to hear it, because so many people I meet, they've just wondered, like, why? They've, they've been frustrated. They felt like they were meant um, for more than this. Like, if you can identify with anything I've just said, like the message is for you, that means that it may be time for your ministry. You've ever thought, man, there's got to be more for my existence than what I am doing right now. Or, or why did God have me here for so long? What was the point? Then you get to identify because the Bible is chalked full of characters that God prepared in advance in very certain ways to do ministry. And Jesus is one of them. 30 years God prepares Jesus for what he has to endure in three years. 30 years, right? I mean, I think about Moses. He's, he's raised in, in the palace, and then he has to take care of the dumbest animals on earth in the middle of the desert. You know what I'm saying? Why? Why, why does he have to go take care of dumb sheep for so long before God will use him? Because he's going to lead God's people, and they're as dumb as sheep. It's got to be prepared. You think about some of the great prophets, think about Elijah. You know before Elijah can go up on Mount Carmel and have like the experience of anybody's spiritual lifetime, do you know that first he has to be down in the canyon by the ravine being fed by ravens? Do you know that he's got to eat the last bit of food from a widow? Like that's where his life has to be first before God elevates him and uses him for powerful, powerful ministry. So I, I just, I look at Moses, I look at Paul, I look at Elijah, I look at Jesus. And, and I just say, maybe, maybe, just maybe, like them, God has been preparing you for a ministry, for a mission, for a purpose. Would you believe that with me? Like, is that, is that crazy? Is that too crazy to think that God, um, who, by the way, uh, doesn't change? <laughs> Is it crazy to think that God would want to do the same thing in you that he has done with follower after follower after follower after follower throughout the Bible? That he would maybe orchestrate 
the things of your life in such a manner that he would even use the hard times in order to bring him glory, to do good ministry. Okay? Just think about that with me. Last thing I want to share with you. Um, this is something you've all felt for a long time, and you just, we just need to confess it out right here in church. Okay? God plays favorites. He absolutely does. Right? God plays favorites. That's not going to sit well with some of you. Don't get up and leave until you hear the whole point, or else you miss the sermon. So, uh, here it is, God plays favorites. I want you to look at verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. And with you I am well pleased. Right? I mean, just, just like get there with me. John is there and he's being obedient. Like he, John's like, I don't even like Jesus. I can't even untie your, your sandals, man. I'm not, I, I'm not deserving of this. And, and so he's there, and, and, and he's, he's grabbing Jesus, like his cousin, uh, and, and, he, and he's, gonna, he's about to dunk him, and, and like all of a sudden he, he sees the Holy Spirit descend in bodily form like a dove, and, and heaven opens up, and, and the Father God audibly speaks to Jesus. You are my son. Like, as Christ is stepping out in obedience and he's beginning this public ministry, his mission on earth, he says, you are my son and I love you and I am well pleased with you. I just try to think, what was John, what was Jesus thinking, right? I mean, like, like, oh my gosh. Like, my dad is like, so. People always ask me, like, is there anything that God can't do? Is there anything that God can't do? Like, there's some things that God can't do. I don't think God can hold back his feelings for his kids. I don't think he can. God, God couldn't hold back his, his love for Jesus. There wasn't a way. When Jesus steps out in obedience, God couldn't be quiet. He had to break the silence. He had to literally break open the heavens and go, Yeah! That is my son whom I love and I am well pleased with. And here's the deal, that phrase... Whom I love is just one word in the Greek. It means beloved. It means beloved, right? And it can, it, can, it can literally mean beloved. It can mean esteemed. It can mean dear. But it also means favorite. Favorite. This is my son. Who's my favorite. I'm so pleased with him. Here's the thing I love about God. God teaches me how to parent, you know. We got four kids, which I guess for some is a lot. I know some of you beat me in that category. Seems like a lot at times, right? People always ask you if you have multiple kids, do you have a favorite? So the answer is absolutely, I have a favorite. All of them. All of my kids are my favorite. And don't, don't, I'm not trying to offend you because I love your kids too, but my kids are my favorite. Like, they are God's greatest gift next to me, next to, next to their mom and Jesus. So it's like Jesus and, and my wife and them. And like, they are my favorite. They are my favorite thing to do on earth. I want to hang out with them. I want to play football. I want to like play a game. Like, they are my favorite. You know what? It's exactly how God feels about you. Listen to what Romans 1.7 says. It says, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. 
So this is a book that's written to the people in Rome that are followers of Jesus. They're Christians. Okay? And look at this phrase. It says, to, to, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy. So if you're a Christian, this verse is for you. And that phrase, who are loved by God, is our one word, beloved. To all those in Rome that are God's favorite. You are his favorite. See, some of you here today, you just need to let that wash over you a little more. Because you honestly wonder how God feels about you. I mean, you think it all the time. I wonder how God feels about me because you don't feel very good about yourself. You know your past. You know all your failures. You, you feel like a failure. And you think, honestly, that's how God wants you to feel? He's your father. Dads don't ever want their kids to feel like failures. Ever. I don't care if they do the most bonehead thing on the planet. Get up, man. It's okay. And we'll, we'll do better next time, right? You are not your performance. That's not what defines you. You're mine. That's what defines you. You're mine. And I love you. And I will love you no matter how many times you strike out in this thing called life. Hear me. That's how God feels about you. You are his favorite. And if you're here today and that's something you've struggled with, you've struggled with your identity in Christ, you, you, you felt like a failure, you, you felt like all of your past sin and all of your past problems, then you need to accept the, the word of God this morning, maybe for the very first time, that God loves you and this is his heart for you. You're his favorite. Do you know that above all creation? That you are the only creature made in God's image and in his likeness. Do you know that when Jesus came and he died on the cross. Do you know that the salvation that was offered there wasn't for the angels. It's for you. Why? Because his kids are his favorite. His kids are his favorite. God loves you, all right? I'd ask you to just do this with me. This is um, going to be awkward for some. I want you to receive that this morning. I think some of you need to receive that. Like you, you, how many would be honest and say, I struggle with feeling good about myself sometimes? We're in church. Don't lie. Jesus is watching. Um, I got you. He's watching all the time, by the way. Like, so don't lie at home either. I, I do. There are times I just struggle with, with how how I feel about myself. And there are times I struggle with how God must feel about me because of how much I struggle with how I feel about myself. So here's the deal. We're going to receive this word right now. And, and this word, so we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to receive it right now. So I just want you to say this with me out, right? Right, like out loud. Just repeat after me, right? Say, say God's crazy about me. No, I mean it. Like, God is crazy about me. Come on. He is nuts over me. I'm awesome. I'm his. I'm his favorite. I'm his favorite. Me. I'm his favorite. Me and you. We are his favorite. If that doesn't mess you up, something's wrong. If that doesn't sink in on a gut level, 
we are his favorites. Isn't that good? I can't read anything, so I don't know what's next. I'll give you some things you can do this morning because of this word. First thing, I want to challenge you this week, maybe for this stage of your life, maybe for the first time ever, to take your place. Jesus was pleased to take his place with the sinners that he came to save. And friends, he says that we're the light of the world. And it's so important that we come to church and that we hear the word of God and that iron sharpens iron. But if we don't go out into the world and be that light, then we're lost. Listen to me. If all the power went out tonight in Elgin and we were the only people with flashlights and we were all gathered here, what good would it do for our city? Nothing. They'd be blind. They'd be lost. They had no place to turn. We would have all the light bottled up in one place. See, we're called the light of the world because we're actually meant to go shine our light out in the world. You can never bring someone to Christ if you don't know anyone without Christ. So go take your place in our community. How? How do I do that, Pastor? Well, it's easy for us. We've got kids. We play sports. Like, all right, you're going to meet a whole lot of people playing sports. And then it's hard because, like, you're a Jesus follower, but you grew up your whole life, like, not knowing Jesus, and you're passionate about things like sports, and so you say things, like, out loud at a sporting event that you shouldn't say because they don't necessarily reflect Jesus. I'm like, oh, so now everybody knows I'm a sinner, which is cool because they all know I'm the pastor. So I'm like, ah, that was me that got kicked out of the sports game. Um, Alan Hubbard, uh, I'm just, just, you and me, brother, we're, I know, I'm joking. (laughs) Hey, hey, I've been warned, like, straight up. I've had a ref in a game stop and come over to me and said, are you going to call the game or am I? And I was like, well, you're like 12, so I probably should. But I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I thought that wouldn't be very Jesus-like. Like, my youngest son is taller than you, but whatever. Um, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, so for us, sports are an easy way to do that. So you might have to get a little more creative. Maybe, maybe you've got to figure out something to do in the community. Be a part of a club. Um, your neighbor's a great place to start. Like walk across the street. Like there's a really good opportunity to meet sinners across the street because we're all sinners, right? And then next door, next door. So, so get out in your community. You've got to take your place. You've got to let other people sit at your table. If you don't know anybody without Christ, you can't ever bring anybody to Christ. Okay? So it's a big deal. Number two. I want you to pray this week. I want you to pray about starting your ministry. I don't know why I had to go through this or why I went through that or this so tough time here. What was that about? Maybe, maybe you could, you could believe that God really does use all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Maybe, just maybe, God's preparing you for a ministry. You say, how do I know what that is? Ready? Uh, ask these questions. Just one, just what, what, do, what do I feel like God's been preparing me for? What, what do, how do all these life events make sense, right? What, what are my gifts and my talents? Giftings and talents are different. We've got spiritual gifts when we meet Jesus. We, we gives us spiritual gifts, and then we've got talents, like, you know, playing a guitar, being athletic. That's a, that's a talent. So maybe it's, you're going to call to do something there. What about my experience? What, what does my life teach me? What, what, have I, what, what am I good at? 
What excites you? What, what do you love to do? Like you should, ministry, you should probably love ministry. Like you really should. Like it shouldn't be like this stinks. Like that, that probably shouldn't be. You're probably in the wrong ministry if you hate it. Just going to be honest. Like move on because you're probably injuring the body of Christ, right? Because you're like, hey, come to my ministry. And you're like, I just, nobody needs that. Like we get enough of that in every other place in the world. Like if, if whatever you're doing makes you sour face, stop it. Figure out something else. Like really, really, okay? And then you ask yourself this, how, how, can, how can all these things be used for God's glory? And you've probably found your ministry. You've probably found your ministry, okay? Last, I want to challenge you this morning, this morning, not next morning, not next week, not later this week, this morning, uh, in this place, here in this moment. I want to challenge you to receive God's love. Some of you don't know Jesus and you have not received God's love. And I would just tell you this, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him would never perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is God's gift for you. He's he's God's love for you and you've never received that. God is like, I want to give you the great, I want to give you um, someone that will cover all your deficiencies. I want to give you someone that will take your place and pay your sin debt. I want to give you my greatest gift. I want to give you my beloved. That's what I want to give you. I want to give you my favorite. And you can receive him this morning. It's not hard. You just cry out, God, I need Jesus. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need need you in my life. Would you just come in my life? It's not hard. You can do that. But many of you this morning, you're already Christians. The problem is, this Christianity, quote-unquote, thing, it's really religion. A lot of what we think is Christianity is really religion. A lot of it has beat you up. We have a very real enemy that every time you fail, he makes you feel like a failure, right? And, and let me just tell you, if you're ever trying to figure out if it's the voice of God, if it's the Holy Spirit, or if it's the enemy, God never uses your sin to tear you down. He uses your sin to call you up. Okay, so, so if, if, if there's sin in your life, if there's failure in your life, and it just keeps hovering over you to make you feel like junk, all right, God doesn't make junk. And he doesn't make his creation feel like junk. He makes us feel guilty so that we'll look up and know that there's a better choice and a better way and that we'll reach out for him and we'll cry out, God save me, and God will save us. That's the only way that God uses. God uses guilt to call us up, not to push us down. So some of you, though, you've bought into that. And you've bought into this lie and your, your, your head is down. Your life is down. The way that you feel about yourself is down. And this morning, you've got to receive God's love for you. I am God's favorite. You are God's favorite. You and 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 you, and you back there. You're God's favorite. Would you just believe that and receive that this morning? Maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe for the first time ever, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting with us this morning. Thank you for your word. The fact that it's powerful, it has the ability to change lives and hearts. Thank you for that. Pray that... uh, you would speak to us this morning and do what only you can by your power. Lord, I pray you do a miracle this morning in our lives and in our midst.
You bring life. You conquer sin. You conquer death in us. You bring life. In Jesus' name, we ask these things.